Hey, this is Chelsea Emery from Christ Walk Church, and this is our podcast. For more information about our church, visit thechristwalk.com. We hope this message encourages you to live for something more. Thanks for listening. What's up, Christ Walk? How's everybody doing today? It is a brand new year, and I am just excited, so excited to be in God's house right here on the the third day of the new year, getting things started off right. We've got uh, 21 days of prayer and fasting that is kicking off today. I'll tell you a little bit more about that later. Um, And uh, right here at the top of the year, we're also kicking off a brand new series, which I am pumped about. So if you've got your Bible, you got a smart device I want to invite you to turn with me or swipe with me to uh, the Old Testament, to the book of Psalms. It's the biggest book there in the Old Testament. If you've got a traditional Bible like this, chances are if you open it up right to the middle, you'll probably find yourself there in the book of Psalms. And we're going to be in chapter 139 Uh, We're going to read a few verses there, and we'll land there in just a moment. So uh, we're on the heels of the holidays, and the holiday season typically means um, the gathering of people, friends, family, um, different people coming to your home. And and I'll just be honest, and and you you can just agree with me or disagree with me in your head, maybe this connects with you or not, but... Our house is never cleaner than when we're expecting company, right? Like if someone's coming over for a Christmas party, we've got family um, coming to visit in town. Perhaps we're hosting a life group. That's when our house is the cleanest because, you know, we want to put our best foot forward, right? When people come over, we want to, uh, we want to make it seem like we have everything all together. And so if you come over to my house for something, just do me a favor. Don't look in any closets. Don't look under the beds. And under no circumstances should you ever go and look in the garage for anything, right? Because we all have those places, those, you know, the places where we just, we put the stuff that we don't want everybody else to see or to interact with. We want to, we want to keep it clean in the common areas. And then we have those other places where we hide stuff like that. There's, there's the areas of, of our lives that they resemble the real us. And then there's the other stuff that we put out in front for everybody else to see. And it's, it's not just in our homes, but it's also in our personal lives as well. We, we have those, those places deep within our soul, the, the nooks and crannies there where stuff, residue, junk is just lurking there in the shadows. It's stuff that, that even though it's there, we, we want to go to great lengths to be sure that, that nobody else ever finds out about it. And we've learned over the years to dress the part, to talk the part, and to walk the walk, to see to it that those things don't get brought up, that those things don't come to the surface. And, and in doing so, we've deceived other people. We've even 
um, begun to believe the lie. We've begun to deceive ourselves and we've bought into that lie that the, the hidden parts of us, those, those things that we don't want anybody else to see that, that maybe we've hidden them so well that somehow magically they've even ceased to exist altogether. And we take the approach day after day, time after time, that if it's out of sight, it's out of mind, right? It's, it's like some boxes that Sarah and I, my wife Sarah and I, we have in our attic. Um, I, I don't think about these boxes on the regular. I just think of them typically around this time of year, whenever I have to get up in the attic to get down the Christmas decorations, and then like I'm going to do later on this afternoon to get back up in the attic to put up the Christmas decorations. Is there like, is that like the worst task ever? Putting up the Christmas decorations? Nobody wants to do that. But that's when I think about these boxes. I get up in the attic and like over in the far corner, pushed up against the side, I see these boxes and they're not nice boxes because they've been through some stuff. Because they got some things in them that Sarah and I, we brought together when we got married back in 2004. And they, they came from Tennessee where we originated and, and they lived with us in a box in a house in Jacksonville, Florida for almost 10 years. And then they lived with us in two different homes in Canton, Georgia over the course of about three years. And then they moved all the way out to St. Louis, Missouri during the time that we lived there. And then now they've lived back here in Fernandina um, in two different houses for um, a little over three years and uh, we don't know what's in them anymore. <laughs> They're just there. And now, if you drive by my house on the street, you'd have no idea. If you come over for dinner, if you come to hang out, you come to inside my house, you're not going to see them. That, that's not part of the grand tour that we take people on. Hey, look at this junk we have in the attic that we've forgotten about. It's just over there in the corner. It's dusty. It's growing mold. There could be like gremlins in it. We don't know anymore. Like it's just the boxes make noises. We don't go near them. And it's there. It's not stuff that we broadcast. And all I know is that the reason we still have it is because for some reason over the course of time, we just haven't been able to let it go. It's the same way with our sin sometimes. That there's desires, there's, there's thoughts, there's behaviors, there's attitudes, actions, things we have going on in our life that, that at first, when they, when they first came to us, it was, like, it was just like this, this tiny little puppy and, and, and it didn't seem all too bad and everything. And, and in fact, we kind of liked it. It was kind of cute. We let it hang around and, and then it started to grow and it started to, um, to require some more attention and everything. And then it started to get a little bit ugly. And, and so we just pushed it off into the corner hoping that no one else would notice and, and we ignored it and we were able to overcome it and we were, we were able to, to, to pretend and, and people weren't able to see through us and so now it's just been over there in the corner of our life and our heart and our soul and, and now when we look over there in the corner we see not just a tiny little puppy, we see Cujo with like fangs bared and like razor sharp claws ready to destroy us if we ever unleash the beast. The reason that it's still there is because through the years, we've just, for whatever reason, we've been unwilling to deal with it. 
we've been unwilling or unable to let it go. And, and so we've chosen, we're never going to go and open that door. We're never going to let other people venture into that part of our lives. And we will certainly, at least publicly, never ever own up to the fact that that issue is there. We've hidden it from everyone. And the worst part is in the process, we've done our best to hide it from God as well. And so today, at the beginning of this year, we're kicking off a brand new series called Dangerous Prayers. And it's, it's based off of a book that Pastor Craig Groeschel wrote of the same name. And, and earlier last year, I read that book and it challenged me and provoked me in such a, a significant way that I felt the Holy Spirit urge me to have it serve as the backdrop for our 21 days of prayer and fasting here at the beginning of this new year. And the premise of it all is really quite simple. The overwhelming majority of prayers that you and I pray are really quite safe. Lord, bless me. Lord, protect me. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the, pray the Lord my soul to keep. Angels watch me through the night and wake me with the morning light. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. By his hands we all are fed. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. We pray prayers like that. Prayers that just say, hey, God, I need you to give me something. Hey, God, this is what my expectation is from you. And I guess like those prayers are okay. I mean, we justify it. At least we're praying, right? But what if this year was different? What if this year, what if we started to pray differently? What if we started to, to proclaim bigger, bolder, more faith-filled prayers? What if instead of praying prayers that, that just ask God for something, what if we begin to pray things that also required us to do something? See, I believe that those so-called dangerous prayers that we find in the Bible, I believe that it can make all the difference in 2021 being our best year yet as individuals, as a church, as a nation, as the people of God. But you need to be warned right here off the top. They're not for the faint of heart. But if you're willing to pray them, they'll change you, transform you in a radical way. And I can't think of a better place for us to start today, right here at the beginning of the year, with one of the simplest yet maybe most dangerous prayers that you can pray. And it's this, two simple words. Search me. Search me. Psalm 139, David prayed this prayer there at the end of that chapter in verses 23 and 24. The New Living Translation says it this way. David prays, search me, O God, 
and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. And so if you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to write this down for the next few minutes. We're going to be talking about three areas that we need to invite God to search in our lives. Three areas that we need to invite God to search. And the first one, number one, is we need to invite God to search our hearts. David prays, he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. And we're talking about heart here. What we're actually talking about is, is our motives, our desires, our intentions. So let me start off by asking a question. What drives you? How would you answer that? What drives you? What is, what's your motivation? What's your reason for getting out of bed in the morning? Why do you do the things that you do? What, what is the intentionality behind the way that you choose to live your life? In case you're wondering what that might be, there are a couple significant indicators in your life that would, that would give us some insight as to what our motives and our desires might be. The, the first one of those is how we spend our time. So if you're wanting to figure out what drives you and, and, and what, what the intentionality and the purpose you believe for your life, a really good indicator of that is to look at your calendar. How do you spend your time? What do you, what do you spend it doing? Another indicator is, is kind of tied into that, but not just how you spend your time, but also how do you spend your money? Really? You're going to talk about that right here the first Sunday of the year? Yep. How do you spend your time? How do you spend your money? We look at our calendar. We look at our bank account. Those are two significant indicators of how we, we have determined what, what drives us or the things that are important to us, what, what our motivations are. Because the way we spend our time and the way we spend our money, those are investments that we make. Every single day, whether we realize it or not, we are making an investment of those resources, our time and our money, and we are investing them into something. And the truth is, is that we are interested wherever we are invested. We are interested wherever we are invested. That's why when you make an investment, you get something, there's a return, and it's called interest. It's because you've invested in it, and so now you're interested in it. Think about it. If you had some money and you put it into a particular stock, you would check that thing every day. You want to see if it's going up, if it's going down, should you buy, should you sell. But if you don't have any money invested in that stock, you're not going to look at it. You don't care. You don't care if it's going up. You don't care if it's going down. The only reason you're interested in it is if you are invested in it. So where are you invested? Are you invested in a job, in a promotion? Are you invested in, in your family? Are you invested in finding the one are you invested in maybe better grades and a scholarship? Are you, are you invested in, in sports, in athletics, either, either playing them or, or following them? 
Maybe you're invested in, in leisure or pleasure, an activity, a hobby that you really enjoy. And you've got a lot of time, you've got a lot of money, you've got a lot of effort tied up into that because you're deeply invested in it. Maybe, maybe you're invested, you're interested in stuff and in material gain and being sure that you're keeping up with the Smiths and the Joneses and all the other people like that. Maybe it's, it's in, the, uh, in your, your shoe game or in the fashion or whatever it is. Are you invested in those areas? And, and let, me, let me tell you, there's, there's nothing inherently wrong with any of those things. But, but it is a matter of priority. And as we look at our, our calendar, as we look at our bank account, and we find out the things that, that, that are uh, supposedly driving us, the, the things that, that will become clear that this is our motivation, the things that we're investing in, we find out that it's really a matter of priority. It's a matter of priority. So I would ask you, are, are you also invested in, what about like daily prayer and Bible reading? Are we invested here on the third day of 2021 or are we invested in making church attendance a priority either in person or online? Are we invested in being a part of a life group and and doing life and and finding community with other like-minded believers who were seeking to grow in their faith for, for support and for care and encouragement? Are we invested in, in serving in, in a kingdom way that putting others before ourselves, doing something, using our gifts, our skills, our God-given abilities to, to build his kingdom? Are we invested with returning God's tithe to him, the first 10% of our income by giving offerings by sowing over and above the tithe into things like our kingdom builders and to make a difference, to be a person of generosity. Are we invested there? What would our calendar say? What would our bank account say? This is what God's word says. Matthew 6, 33, it says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added or will be given to you. See, our primary investment should be in the things of God and in our relationship with him. Seek first the kingdom of God. You look that word up in the original Greek, it means first. I'm not trying to trick anybody this morning. Seek first the kingdom of God, not second, third, fourth. Seek first the kingdom of God, and then everything else will fall into place. It doesn't mean that we have to give up in those other pursuits. It just means we got to get them in the right priority. But in order for that to happen, we got to say, God, search me and know my heart to be sure that my motives my desires, that they're in the right place and that I'm seeking after you first and foremost. So first, we gotta ask God to search our hearts. The second area that we need to ask God to search is our heads. Need him to search our heads. David writes, he says, search me, test me and know my anxious thoughts. 
our heads. That's right, we're talking about our, our thoughts. We need God to search our thoughts. Let me ask you this question. What consumes your mind, particularly in the area of worry? What consumes your mind, particularly in the area of worry? Is it your job? Are we going to have a job in the middle of all of this crisis and turmoil? Are the layoffs going to affect me? Am I going to be up for the promotion? Is it, is it your finances? Is it, do we have enough to put groceries on the table? Do we have enough to take that vacation? Do we have enough to have that thing Is it the bills? Are you constantly worried about whether there's going to be more month than there is money? Are you constantly worried about, oh, can can we juggle the car payment and the house payment and the credit card payment and this payment and that payment? Are we going to be able to make it all work? Is that what is consuming your mind? Is it your health? Is it, oh, my goodness, it's the coronavirus and I can't leave my house for a year and have to order all my groceries in and spray them down with Lysol and we're wiping down the mail with, you know, hand sanitizer. Is it that? Are we, are we constantly, are we so concerned about our health that, that we're paralyzed and unable to do anything? Is it, is it our marriage? Are we constantly worrying about our marriage, our family, our spouse? Do they love me? Are they going to stick through this? These issues, are they cheating on me? What's going on here? Is it our kids? Why are they so rebellious? Why are they doing this? Are they making right choices? Constantly worried. Are we consumed with those things? What is consuming your thought life, particularly in the realm of worry? Because David says, search me, test me, know my anxious thoughts. Here's what Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 and 32. He says, so don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. If we're living a life that's surrendered to God, if we're in right relationship to him through his son, Jesus Christ, then what are we worried about? He knows all of our needs already. So why are we spending so much of our time with all of these anxious thoughts consuming our mind, filling it full of worry when God has already taken care of those things if we'll simply just trust him? Francis Chan says, worry implies that we don't quite trust that God is big enough, powerful enough, or loving enough to take care of what's happening in our lives. So wherever worry is present in your thought life, that is an area that you haven't fully trusted to God. It's an indicator Where are you worrying? Where are you worrying? Here's what Paul writes in Philippians 4, 
verses 6 through 9, he writes this about worry. He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. What you're doing is, is you're reminding God of his previous track record and you're, you're cashing that in on credit for what his future track record is, is going to be. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, so you tell him what you need, and then you thank him. God, this is what I need in my life, which he knows before we even come to him. This is what I need, and I thank you for how you've always provided up to this point. And because you've always provided, there's no reason for me to doubt or to worry about whether or not you're going to continue to provide for me. So don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Verse eight, he says, and now dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable, and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. So what Paul says is instead of having those anxious thoughts, instead fill your mind full of thoughts on things that are true and honorable and worthy of praise. What Paul is saying there is that we can worry or we can worship, but we can't do both. That that's the choice that we have. We can, we can either choose to worry about it or we can choose to worship God in the middle of it, but we can't do both of those things. And so that's why David was saying, God, I need you to search me. I need you to test my anxious thoughts so that I won't be a worrier, but instead I could be a worshiper. We need God to search our hearts. We need him to search our heads. Number three, we need to ask God to search our hands. Search our hands. David writes in Psalm 139, he says, search me. Point out anything in me that offends you. Or maybe your translation says, any wicked way in me. The original language for that is is literally talking about a way of doing something, a process that we find ourselves in. He's talking about behavior, behavior. So let me ask you this question. How's your behavior, especially when no one else is around? How's your behavior, especially when no one else is around? How about those addictions? How about things like like secret sin? Let's get real for a minute. What What exists in your life today that you hope to God nobody will find out about? What's going on inside of here that would would crush? you, could ruin your career, could ruin your marriage, could ruin your relationship with those that you love and that you care about? What's going on inside of here that you are hoping desperately that no one will find out about? 
drugs, alcohol, pornography, maybe it's infidelity, extramarital affair, perhaps it's sexual promiscuity. It could could be a number of things, but what is that stuff that you're keeping pushed down into the darkness, just hoping beyond hope that it never comes to the surface, that no one ever finds out about? Here's what John wrote in his letter, 1 John 1, 9. He says, if we confess our sins to him, about Jesus. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. Confess means to bring it up. It means to, to shed a light on it. I know what you're thinking. Pastor Blake, I, I, don't, I don't want to shed light on that stuff. I don't want to know about it. I don't want anybody else to know about it. You don't know how bad it is. You don't know the lengths that I have gone to push it to the sides, to the fringes, and keep it in the dark corners of my soul and in my heart and in my mind. You don't, you don't know what's in there. Why in the world would I want to bring it up? Why in the world would I want to talk about it? Why in the world would I want to shed any light on it? Because when we shed light on that stuff, it no longer has power over us. That's why. When we bring it up and we put it out there in the open, we confess it. Jesus says, you got to confess to me and then I will cleanse you of all that unrighteousness, all that wickedness. But as long as you keep it in the recesses, in the corners, in the shadows, and you refuse to let go, you refuse to to relinquish it, you refuse to let it come out and to be exposed into the light, then he can't touch it. He can't do anything with it as long as we choose to hold on to it. But whenever we bring that stuff up, It loses its grip on us and we're able to receive forgiveness through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. His shed blood that covers that sin and cleanses us, wipes away all of that dirt and grime and filth. So we need God. We need to invite him to come and to search our hearts to search our our heads, our minds, to search our hands, our our actions, our behaviors, the, the secret sins that we've allowed to live there in the dark. And here's why. We're not asking God to search us so that he might know us. The Bible says he knows the number of hairs that are on our head. So we're not asking him to search us so that that he might know us. He already knows everything there is to know about us. Instead, we're asking for God to search us so that we might know ourselves and so that we might know how to become more like Jesus. We're not saying, God, search me so that you might know me. We're saying, God, search me so that I might know me and that I might see how I compare when I'm stacked up to your son Jesus so that I can become more like him. And when we do that, when we invite God into our lives, when we invite him to come in and and search and to, to shine light on the dark places in our hearts, the dark places of our minds, the dark places of our behavior, when we invite him to do that, then the end result is that he will lead us. That's what David prayed. 
He said, search me, know me, test me, see if there be any evil or wicked way in me, and then lead me along the path of everlasting life. That's what David was asking. If you'll search me, then I'll see where I don't stack up to Jesus. And so then I can have you to lead me in his direction so that I can become more like him. See, when we ask for someone to lead us, what that means is that we're willing to take second place. We're willing to take second place. It's like a yield sign. When you come up to a yield sign, you, you, have, to, you have to stop, you, you pause because you're giving someone else the opportunity to go first. It's not you ramrodding through and, and you taking your way. It's, it's you slowing down and assessing the situation and saying, no, I'm willing for someone else to go in front of me. I'm choosing to be second. 2021, I think that's probably the best thing that you and I could do to choose to be led by our Heavenly Father. That we don't go first anymore. Instead, we yield to the things that He wants for our lives. One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture is in Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do. He will make your paths straight. If we'll trust him with our heart, if we'll give over our minds, our thoughts, if we'll surrender our actions to him, to his way, he'll make our paths straight. See, when we discover the motives the thoughts, the behaviors that are inside of us, those things that exist that are lurking in the shadows, that, that junk that isn't in line with or doesn't resemble Jesus, what that allows us to do is to nail that stuff to the cross. That was David's prayer. Search me, know me, test me, try me so that I can know myself and I can see where I don't measure up so that I can come under your leadership you can point me in the direction of everlasting life. The way we get there is through surrender. Surrender is the path to everlasting life, and it is a straight, it is an easy path. It begins by us saying, God, not my way, but your way. God, I'm not in charge. I'm not in control. You are. I give you control. Search me, know me, test me, try me, and then take control of my life. That's the prayer. See, perhaps the biggest battle that you and I are going to face this year is not because of a virus. It's not because of any political difficulty we might be facing. It's not because of racial and social injustices. It's not because of any of that. The, the biggest battle that you and I are going to face 
this year is the battle that we face in the mirror. It's the battle of self. And the only way to fight and win that battle is on our knees with two simple words. Search me. Search me. And then we let go of our thing and we we let go of our desire. We let go of our thought. We let go of our behavior. And instead, we take hold of God and his desires, his thoughts, his behaviors, his, his thing for us. So my question today is, how might this year be different? If we chose to take just this one simple step. If we quit holding on to the stuff, the junk, the filth that's lurking in the dark corners of our souls, and instead we said, God, search me. I give it over to you. I give you control. How might this year be different if we choose to live that way instead of the way we've lived in the past? If you wanna do that today, that starts by choosing to live Jesus, to live for Jesus and and his way instead of our own through a relationship with him. And if if you'd like to do that this morning, maybe you're here in this room, maybe you're watching with us online, I wanna invite you to just pray this simple prayer with me. I'll pray it, you can repeat the words. It goes like this, Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe that Jesus died in my place making a way for us to have a relationship. I choose to follow Jesus, his way for the rest of my life. Now for the rest of us, Father, I pray that as we enter into this brand new year, Lord, that we would have the courage to pray one of the most dangerous yet simple prayers that we could ever pray and that we would just ask you to search us. God, I pray that you would would search me, Father. Lord, that that you would would expose the inner workings of my heart, Lord, those, those motives and those desires, the intentions and purposes the way that I spend my time, the way that I spend my money, Lord, that all of those things, Lord, that you would be sure that they align with you and that I'm, I'm seeking you first and I'm putting you first, that I'm filling your heart with, my, with, with your word so that I might not sin against you, God, but instead that my desires and my, my motives, Lord, that they would line up with you and with your word. God, I pray that, that you would search, Lord, my, my head, Lord, my mind, the thoughts, Lord, those those thoughts that I I haven't surrendered to you, the thoughts of worry and doubt and fear and untrust and disbelief, God. God, point those out to me, Lord, so that I can surrender those unto you. Lord, and that instead, I can think about the things that are pure and holy and noble and admirable and praiseworthy. Lord, that I would exchange my worry for worship. God, today I pray that you would search my hands. 
Lord, anything in me, anything that I'm doing, anything that I'm thinking, anything that I'm believing, God, any part of me that is not in line with you, any part of me that, that doesn't add up to resembling Jesus Christ, Lord, that you would forgive me of that stuff. Lord, that, that you would help me to bring it to the surface. Lord, that you would shed a light on it so that, that it would be wiped away, that it would no longer have power, that it would lose its grip and control over my life. Lord, search me, know me, test me, try me, deliver me, lead me to the path of everlasting life. Lord, would you do that in all of us today? Lord, lead us on that path of everlasting life so that we could become more like your son, Jesus. It's in your most holy name that we pray these things. Amen. 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 All over this house, could we just respond to the word of the Lord by standing, preparing our hearts for worship as the band leads?